Good morning. My name is Zach DeCryf, uh, filling, in, filling in for Justin this morning. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, we're going to be finishing up this sermon series called How to Read Your Bible Today. Um, and uh, I'm just going to try to finish up talking about what Justin and Joe started. So I want you to think real quickly in your mind. I want you to think about what does Christianity look like to you? What comes to your mind when you think about Christianity as a whole? Do you think about it as a personal relationship with Jesus? Do you think about it as a lifestyle, possibly filled with rules, regulations? Do you think of it as a church building, somewhere people gather? Um, have you ever thought about how much easier it would be just to love Jesus but not come to church, not be committed to what it looks like in building disciples and making disciples? Have you ever thought about how much easier it would be if I could just live alone with my family and just have a relationship with Jesus? Have you ever thought about just going up to the mountains and that being your church? Have you ever thought about no longer following Jesus at all? Because life would be a heck of a lot easier. So I've heard a lot of these things been said by people in my life. Um, I've heard a lot of these things said uh, about what they think of as what they see as church. But the thing about it is, is what does the Bible actually say? What does the Bible say about this? So the Bible, we call it God's Word. We call it the Holy Scriptures. It's all things that we as Christians, we call the Bible. Uh, we look at it, um, as, and as we're going through this series, uh, Justin talked about meditating on the Word, what it looks like to chew on it, wrestle with it. Uh, Joe did a fantastic job last week of helping us dive into the Word and really think about what the text is saying and look at the definitions of what exactly uh, was going on, historical context, and things like that. Uh, but today we're going to talk about what do we do with that information. So I want to tell you a little bit about my upbringing. So I was brought up in the church. Uh, I was brought up in a Christian family. Uh, I went to Christian school my entire life. Uh, I did a year at a Christian college. I took multiple classes on the Bible, theology. Uh, I was taught all through my uh, childhood and my student career about how to read the Bible, what to do with the Bible, and all the things that the Bible had to do with and I was completely saturated with the Word. But there was only one problem. I had an awesome upbringing. I wouldn't change it for the world. But I never studied it for myself. I never took the time to actually see what it said about my life and what I needed to do with it. And I never opened it unless I needed to find an answer to an assignment or I needed to prove a point. Not good. So we all have times in our life where we tend to experience crisis. We'll come to a point where we're crying out to God. We're saying, God, I need your help. We go to the Bible in those times. We search it for truth. We ask God to rescue us from our circumstances. Or everything in life's going really well. Everything's going good. We get super busy. We're doing what we need to do to support our families. And the Bible takes a back seat. 
I had to ask the question, what exactly are we building our lives on? Are we building it on our life experiences and how we feel, or are we building it on what the Bible actually says? Are we building it on God's Word? So if we believe that the Bible is the true Word of God, and we believe that we need to start reading the Bible and looking at it for truth, Joe did such a good job of helping us last week kind of go through and look at the passages and the definitions, uh, the meanings, the intent, the context. context. Uh, and I love the quote that he, he had, it's not written to us, but it's written for us. Uh, I made the mistake of going to church on Sunday and not doing any of that. I come to church on Sunday, I love it, and then I go do my thing during the week. And then I come back on next Sunday and really nothing changed. So what's it look like to live this out? Uh, what's it look like to get this into your life? So God's equipped us. He's given us his word to equip us for the enduring mission of, of Christ. Um, so the passage that we're going to be in today is 2 Timothy verses, or chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. And it says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So we're going to kind of go back and do what Joe did last week. We're going to deconstruct this verse a little bit, and we're going to look at what's going on. We're going to first look at the context. So who's writing the letter? Paul's writing this letter. He's writing this letter to a young man named Timothy, uh, and Paul is empathizing with Timothy over the struggles that he's having in his ministry. Uh, he's reminding him that this is his calling. He's supposed to be a pastor. Uh, he's giving him clarity about what it means to endure in the midst of great pains when it comes to ministry. And Paul tells Timothy that this isn't anything new. This is something that you're going to experience. And he tells him that he's also gone through these things. He tells Timothy that there's going to be men that love all kinds of evils in the world, and they're going to try to make it look godly. And they're going to try to make it look good. But Paul tells Timothy, don't get distracted. Don't think about these things. I want you to turn away from what these men are telling you. Uh, people are going to try to trick you about what is right and what is wrong. But the only true source that we have is the Bible, the only source of truth, the truth that God approves. So the scripture that, God, uh, that Paul is referring to here uh, in the passage is obviously the whole text of the Bible that we have today, but if we're going back to Paul's day, he's mainly focusing on the Old Testament. So a lot of the New Testament was floating around at the time that Paul was writing this. This is towards the end of Paul's life when he's writing this. Uh, so these texts that we have in the New Testament, they were floating around, but Paul's mainly talking about the Old Testament. Um, and the disagreements that he's talking about aren't all that different from a lot of the disagreements that we have today. Disagreements about the law, disagreements about Jesus, disagreements about, oh, anything and everything, and they're just as contentious now as they were then. So what is still applicable to us now, what isn't, when, how is Jesus coming back, all of these things are causing disunity in, in Timothy's church. All of these things cause disunity in our churches. 
And Paul's telling Timothy, do not forsake the learning of the Old Testament. Do not forsake the teachings that Paul has taught Timothy. He said, don't, don't sway from what I've taught you, because what I've taught you is good, and it's in the text. It's in the Old Testament. So let's go back just a little bit, and we're going to read through verses uh, 10 through 15, right before this other text. It says, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and the persecutions that I endured? Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While you continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you've learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation and through faith in, in Christ Jesus. So Paul is telling him, don't forsake what you've learned. Don't forsake what I've taught you. Don't forsake what, you're, what you've brought, come to know growing up. So now we're going to look at Timothy himself. What's going on with Timothy? So Timothy is a church pastor. He's a pastor in probably in the church of Ephesus. So everybody knows, if you've read through the, Old, the New Testament, the church uh, in Ephesus, Paul wrote another letter to them called the Ephesians. Um, it was earlier on in his ministry, but it's probably the same church. And men are challenging Timothy, and they're saying that Paul isn't right in his teaching, and Timothy isn't right in his teaching. So Timothy, we know from 1 Timothy that Timothy's a very young man, and Paul's encouraging him in 1 Timothy, saying, he's saying, it's okay that you're young. You know what you need to know. We laid hands on you. Um, and it's possible that Timothy is maybe being challenged by the older men in his church, and in that community, um, the older generation, the wiser generation, they were looked on as the elders, and they may have been saying that Timothy didn't necessarily have what it took to be a pastor in the church. So is this coming uh, to cause Timothy some anxiety? And then Timothy may be questioning himself. He may be feeding into this. I am young. I am nervous. Do I know enough? Can I teach these men that are older than me? I mean, how intimidating would that be? And then we're going to look at Paul. What's, where's Paul writing from in this? This is one of the prison epistles. We call it the prison epistle because Paul is writing this letter from prison. Uh, when he wrote this letter, he's likely towards the end of his life. He's probably under Emperor Nero, which if you know uh, anything about Roman history, Emperor Nero was a really bad guy, a lot of persecution, a lot of difficulty for Christians. Um, so Paul's probably in jail under that uh, reign, and Paul doesn't know how long he has to live. He says in this letter earlier on, he says, I don't know. I think this is the end of my life. So if you think about that in the context of what's going on in this letter that he's writing to Timothy, I want you to think about if you were writing your last will and testament to somebody, would you include anything in this letter that wasn't important? Paul's probably going to die. He doesn't care what anybody thinks of him. He's probably going to die. So I think we need to take that into consideration when we're reading this text and think about, wow, Paul's probably not holding anything back. So what he's saying, probably we should give it a lot of weight. So Paul's telling Timothy there is going to be persecution. I'm wondering if the people in Timothy's church were telling Timothy, 
we don't want to listen to Paul anymore because he's in prison. He's probably about going to die. How many times in our lives do we think about somebody in the ministry is being persecuted uh, or they're under a lot of tension? How many times do we think, well, if they were right with God, they wouldn't be being persecuted? How many times do I think of that? When I'm being persecuted, I must not be right with God. But Paul's saying it's the opposite. Paul's saying, don't listen to them. Just because I'm being persecuted doesn't mean what I'm saying is wrong. What I'm saying is right, and you're going to be persecuted. He's telling Timothy that this is the end. It's time for you to step up. It's time for you to take a leap of faith. It's time for you to be courageous in this. And he's telling Timothy that this is nothing new. I've gone through this. Walk the path that I've walked. Follow my path. So looking at that and then going back and looking at verses 16 and 17, we're going to go into a little bit of definition here. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God. So the word breathed out or inspired in other translations is the Greek word theopneustos. Theo means God. And pneustos or nuo is the root of that is the breath, the breath of God. So what does it actually mean that Paul is saying in this verse? All scripture is breathed out by God. It literally means God is speaking the words of the Bible. God is speaking them out and he's giving them to his people to read as if he said it. So we look at the Old Testament, God handing down the law to Moses. We look at what Joe said last week. If you remember, there's 66 books in the Bible. There's 40 different authors. Everything is just beautifully wrapped together. There's no contradiction. It's not possible for a book to be written by men. It had to be written by God. So we have to take that seriously. What Paul is saying here, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's direct communication. So do we believe that? Do we believe that the Bible is directly from God? It's the first step. Then the verse goes, it says, it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. Is it profitable? Is the Bible profitable? Is it helpful? Is it advantageous? Do we find the Bible that way? What about teaching? I mean, everybody's here on Sunday. We're listening to teaching from Justin and Joe. Uh, do we find it good? Do we find it as good instruction or for doctrine? Are we being taught? Are we being taught by the word of God? For reproof. Reproof is proof of or evidence of or proven wrong. Are we willing to be proven wrong by what the Bible says? Are we willing to change our mind if we are in contradiction with the Bible? And correction, to be restored to a correct state. Are we willing to make that step to be restored to a correct state? Are we willing to be corrected by the Bible? Then it says, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So training in righteousness is to be taught, to be taught in condition of being acceptable to God, to be taught in a way of right living. That's what righteousness means. It's right living. And to be equipped, we're being supplied. We're being supplied by the Bible for every good work. Good work, useful, honorable, excellent, upright. In everything one undertakes to do, this is the mission of Christ, to be made for every good work. So how are we doing with this? 
the verse is pretty clear. I mean, Paul doesn't hold anything back. He says the Bible is to be used for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that we will all be equipped for every good work. This is exactly what the Bible is for. It's to draw us closer to Jesus and make us more like him. So it's possible that these verses are going to rub us the wrong way and it's going to maybe bring to mind something uh, that doesn't sit well with you. You might think of it as, wow, we're just going back to legalism with this. We're going back to the law. We're saying, okay, we need to follow the law. That's not what Paul's saying. It's the opposite of what Paul's getting at. Paul's calling all of us believers to live a better life to obey the Bible and what it says because it's God's will. It's breathed out from God. And, he's telling, and Paul's telling Timothy, don't alter your way of thinking because people in your church are opposing you. Neither should we. So when we think about the law, we think about the Old Testament, we think about a list of do's and don'ts that God gave the Israelites that tended to make their lives more difficult. We see it as outdated, possibly not applicable for us today. But, but Paul's telling us the Bible, the Bible, and everything there in the Bible is profitable to us. Everything. God's telling us what he wants our lives to look like. But this is going to come at a cost. Paul tells Timothy he will be persecuted for holding on to this doctrine. And we can't expect to be any different if we hold on to it either. So God's given us his word to equip us for the enduring mission of making disciples as well. So are we willing to take the risk of being transformed by the Bible by looking at our lives and comparing it and contrasting and willing to be transformed by what the Bible says? Are we willing to be like David? David, the hero, one of the heroes of the Old Testament. He says in Psalm 1, Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or, take the seat, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. So I don't think anybody probably here tends to think that we're walking with the wicked or we're living in company with mockers, but I think we need to be careful. We need to check our lives. Let's compare it to what the Bible says. Let's see how we're doing. David says, this is what we need to do. Our flesh always wants to rebel against God, always. But God, what God does in us and through us is far better than whatever the flesh wants. So there's probably going to be two sides to this. Uh, if you're listening, there's two sides that are going to be, you know what, I really don't want to do this. It seems too painful, too much work. I just don't want to do it. Or it's going to be, I want to, but I really am not sure how. So if we're willing to be transformed by the Bible, if we look at our lives and compare it to what the Bible says, uh, the Bible calls this surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus, and this is going to be really hard. We are going to fall short. We are going to mess up. We are going to make mistakes. But God is merciful, 
God loves us through our mistakes. And living this out in community is going to help. So there's a graphic um, that Justin and I made. Um, It's going to have a picture of a Bible on top. And it's going to feed down. And we're in the middle. So the Bible needs to be on the top. It needs to influence everything in our lives. It needs to filter down into us. It needs to, to uh, just penetrate our hearts and figure out what is going on in our lives, and that needs to be our first priority. And then we have community under us in our main, um, our main people groups that we interact with on a regular basis. So the Bible and Jesus, how are we being transformed by the Bible? Am I willing to be rebuked and corrected by the Bible? Are we in our Bible? Are we reading it? Are we looking through at our lives through the lens of the Bible? Then we're going to be looking at our family, our spouse, uh, our kids, our extended family. Are we willing to be held accountable by our family, by our spouse, personally, by the Word of God? If our spouse comes to us and says, I really wish you were doing this, or are we willing to look at that and say, what does the Bible say about that, rather than just blowing up? Do we work at pleasing God as a family and applying tough truth? And then the other influence that we have is the church outside of family. We, the church, are we allowing all of each other, our brothers and sisters in Christ, to speak into our lives? Are we going to home group? Are we being vulnerable? Are we opening up and listening to what people have to say and then analyzing our lives and saying, what, God, what are you saying to me through this? Are we applying the principles that we're talking about on Sunday morning? As Christians, we have a lot of influences in our lives, not just marriage, family, and the church. We have work we have the news, we have whatever else that is influencing us and directing us on how we should live our lives. The world tells us that we need to listen to what it says, but the Bible says, do as God commands. The world is constantly changing. The world's unsure, but the Bible never changes. God never changes. His truth is always constant. If we listen to what the Bible says, our influences, our marriage, our family, our church, we should analyze what's being said through the lens of Scripture, compare what is being said, compare it to our lives, and use that as the measuring stick. God's given us his word to be equipped for the enduring mission of Christ, the enduring mission. So Joe mentioned this passage last week, but I couldn't help but put it in because I just love it so much. It's Hebrews 4.12. It says, For the word of the Lord is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is piercing the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So we need to read the word, and we need to let it cut. We need to let it cut and divide our soul and our spirit and allow God to speak into our lives. What is God saying through his word? So how do we live this out together in community? 
What does this look like in practice? So I don't know if you guys remember, if you were uh, here or watched it online, two weeks ago, Justin started the sermon series out, and he had a video of lions, and they were consuming something, and they were growling, and they were meditating, as Justin talked about. What would it look like if home group, per se, does it look like that? Does it look like the Bible is in the middle of us as a bunch of lions growling and roaring and eating the Bible alive? That's what it should look like. What's it look like to leave Sunday morning and to look at the text that we talked about, taking your insert and saying, I need to look up these verses. That way, when you go to group uh, during the week, you're ready to talk about it. You're ready to digest. You're ready to share what you've learned from the Bible with the other people in your group, and they can teach you, and you live life together. So I hope none of you heard me say when we were talking about the rebuking and the correcting that, oh, this is my perfect opportunity. So-and-so has been doing this. I need to go correct them. We need to be really careful. Is that a good thing when you see somebody in sin? Yes. But we need to do it carefully. We need to do it properly. But I think this text is saying we need to analyze ourselves first. What does the Bible say about our life? How are we doing? And then if somebody that you know is walking in sin, what does it look like to walk beside them and grow with them and love them in the midst of what maybe they're living their life contrary to what the Bible says. How do we love that person through the hard? So I love this, this quote from C.S. Lewis. Um, it says, we all want progress, but progress means getting nearer to the place that you want to be and if you have taken a wrong turn, then, go for, then to go forward does not get you any nearer. If you are on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. And in that case, the man who turns back the soonest is the most progressive man. I think what C.S. Lewis is talking about here is repentance. Turning around. The Bible is telling us what we're doing maybe isn't in the right direction. It's not what God's asking us to do. The most progressive man turns around, goes back to the right road. What's the road that God's calling you to be on? That's the road we want to be on. Are we, are we ready to submit to the Bible? Are we ready to change? Are we ready to listen? Are we ready to suffer, possibly? Are we ready to stand on the truth of the Bible, stand firm in what it says, and turn around. So I told you my story about how I grew up in the Word of God. I was saturated in it. Uh, I had an amazing upbringing. And all the time, I really didn't know what God wanted me to do with my life. I didn't really know who God was. I didn't know what following Him meant. I may have seen it as a loss in the past. I may have seen it as missed opportunities. I may have seen it as something that I should regret. But this verse in Isaiah was super powerful to me. 
In Isaiah 55, 11, it says, So shall my word that goes out of my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish what I purpose. It shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. How amazing is it that God himself says through the prophet Isaiah, my word will accomplish my purpose. My word, the Bible, my word will accomplish my purpose. His purpose in my life was to bring about change, to turn me around, and for me to know him. His purpose is the same in your life. It's to find you, to love you, to turn you around, and for you to know him. So as time went on, I started to read my Bible for myself, and God spoke to me through his word. He said, I have a problem. You have a problem. I have a problem. He said, I, didn't, I don't know you. It led to life change. It changed my direction. I turned around. I searched the scripture. I found out what it was saying about salvation. And now I continue to search the scriptures and see what it says. What does it mean to be a better follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be a Christian? So the take home, what does it look like for us to read our Bible every day or as much as we can? We always say every day, but honestly, it's what can we do? What is God asking you to do? Every day would be great. Multiple times a day would be great. But let God speak to you in it. Let's just, just get in the word. Pursue truth. Read the Bible with your spouse if you're married. Get in community with your, with your spouse and talk about what the Bible is saying. Strengthen your relationship through the word. Pursue truth together. Read, Bible with your friend, read the Bible with your friends. What does it look like in home group? Read the Bible, digest it, analyze it, understand it. Do it in community. Pursue it together. And then read in the Bible with your kids. If you have kids, start them on the correct path. Get them going down the road of what the Bible says, the stories in the Bible. They'll never forget. I have never forgotten what I was taught as a kid. And God will grab them and he'll turn around. When he's ready, he'll do his thing. So I still struggle to get into the Bible. I still struggle to read and digest it every day. I struggle to apply the principles. I struggle all these things. Reading the Bible is difficult. It requires discipline. It's hard. But we all have to find time. We have to do the best we can to let the word of God speak to us. So we're going to go into communion. And if anybody forgot um, to grab the elements, there's going to be two lovely ladies that have some for you. If you'd raise your hand, if you'd like to take communion. Um, communion to me has always been very special. Thinking about what Christ did for us in the midst of our sin, in the, in the great lengths that he went through to make us right with the Father. I ask that you just take a little bit of time to reflect and think about and thank Jesus for what he did. Because he didn't have to. 
ask that you just reverently, deeply thank him for what he did. And I want you to thank him also for this amazing book that we call the Bible, that he gave it to us for instruction and to show us how to live. Take a minute.